You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. So you've listened to my show. You've gotten to know the people behind the camera and in front of the camera. And you're thinking to yourself, I really want to be able to watch porn in an ethical way. I want to pay for my porn, but I don't want to join just one website where I can only get one brand's type of content or one porn star's type of content. I want to be able to access it all. This is why you should go to hotmovies.com because Hot Movies has everything. They have scenes from all of the biggest porn companies, all of your favorite porn stars. They basically have everything. And if you use code HOLLY, you can get your first 20 minutes for free. So what have you got to lose? Support this industry and also get access to all of the hottest, latest releases at hotmovies.com. And do not forget to use my code HOLLY for 20 minutes free. Holly Randall Unfiltered is also brought to you by Adam and Eve. AdamandEve.com is like the biggest online superstore for all of your sex needs. They've got toys, they've got lingerie, they've got movies. It's pretty much a one-stop shop for everything sexy. Now, you'll get 10 free gifts when you order one item. Something for her, something for him, something you'll both enjoy, and six free movies. Plus, free shipping. All you have to do is enter code HOLLY at checkout. That's H-O-L-L-Y at adamandeve.com for your 10 free gifts. Today on the show, I am very excited to be doing something a little bit different. I have Ryan Keeley here, but she is actually interviewing me. So we are going to talk about my favorite subject myself. I have a bunch of questions that people have sent. We've actually opened up um, the live stream to the public. So people are going to be in the chat room asking questions. Should be a lot of fun. Ryan's a great interviewer and a good friend of mine. So I'm very much looking forward to this. So let's get to it. Ryan Keeley interviewing me, Holly Randall. everybody. Welcome back to the show. And today we are flipping the script a little bit. We have Ryan Keelion, who's one of my favorite guests, but today she's going to interview me. Um, it was an idea that a couple of you listeners actually came up with. And I was like, yeah, that actually sounds kind of interesting because, you know, I'm always interviewing other people, even though I do <laughs> find ways to talk about myself quite frequently well, during then, the show. And then you threatened to have Mike Quasar do it. Yes. And then I harassed you guys on Twitter calling you out because saying that I am the most qualified porn interviewer. You no are. No one else is. You <laughs> truly are. Um, you had that show. So how I know this is not only was your episode with Jelena Jensen, which you guys should go back and listen to if you haven't already, is one of my favorites. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> um, and you're just a naturally hilarious person. But I know that you're really, really good. Um, you have like great like media 
media training from your show Jukebox Live on Playboy yeah. TV, which you were excellent on. And I remember I was a guest on that show and I was so insanely impressed by how well you were able to transition, you know, from one segment to the next and how well you were able to field these really creepy calls from very strange viewers. Like, I love a challenge and that show is amazing. And, but beyond that, you know, my, my, today is not about me, but I've been interviewing porn stars since the age of 19 because it goes back to K-Sex Radio, back when internet radio was a thing. I had a show. Oh my God. I remember K-Sex yeah. Radio. And it was funny, like that was brought up, uh, just, I think like two episodes ago with Christy Canyon and I hadn't heard about KSX Radio and forever, and I'd forgotten that it existed. I love the picture that you just posted of her on your Twitter. Yes, yeah, it was Twitter. Yeah, I was like, I was like, was it Insta Stay for not? Definitely not. She yeah, big old, big old Harry Pie. Yeah, and uh, it was an old picture that my mom took, and with classic like Suze Randall background with like the silk draping sheets. My mom was always like draping fabric everywhere. All of her sets is just like we actually joke on set. We're like, oh, did you go to the Suze Randall School of Draping? Because it's like you know how you lay like a piece of fabric out is important it's got to like sit properly and so it's like a whole thing it's pretty funny (laughs) (laughs) that's going deep well let's jump into this because um people that have been a longtime listener of your show remember your very first episode is where you interviewed your parents and that getting ready for today is where i started and so i figure we'll start at the beginning we'll start out with your childhood oh so are you an oldest child? I am the oldest. <laughs> yes, I was born um, in 1978. Dang, yes, a long time ago. Forty. I am forty. Dang. Yeah, I know it's scary. Feisty forty. I like it. <sighs> um, so you have what's the age difference between you and your siblings? My brother is three years younger than me, and my sister is eight years younger than me. Oh, that's yeah. was she a surprise baby? I think we were all surprise babies. <laughs> I know I was a surprise baby. My dad definitely wasn't expecting me to come along. He always like uh, jokes that when my mom told him that um, she was pregnant with me, he was like super bummed because he knew like the party was over. Because you know my parents were swingers and they used to go to the Playboy Mansion and like you know go to orgy parties and all this stuff. So when she like said she was pregnant, my dad was like, "Fuck, I'm not gonna be able to like fuck all these hot bitches anymore." Um, but then he admitted afterwards that you know he was very happy to have children and have had a family. So, but it wasn't expected, at least not for him. I think my mom was planning it all along, but she's like that. She's a plotter. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So you have, your two siblings aren't involved in porn at all. No, my brother is a a lawyer and um, a like program developer and my sister is a nurse. How do they feel about you being in the industry? Oh, they don't care. They don't care? No. They've all like had like short little stints of working for my parents, like at some point or another. Um, But yeah, I mean, we're all like, you know, we were raised in this environment where sex wasn't taboo and it wasn't considered shameful. And um, even though, you know, obviously my parents didn't show me porn when I was a kid, we always like knew what they did for a living. We mm-hmm. knew, you know, mom and dad, um, you know, make movies for grownups. And that was, you know, it was just the understanding. And my parents didn't make it a big deal. So we didn't think it was a big deal, you know, like it's all about like how you're raised to see things. And um, we had a very normal, normal childhood. So you actually have had a very privileged childhood in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, for sure. Did you go to private school? I went to private school. I went to Cotillion. I rode horses. Um, yeah, I super, like, I will admit it, I had a very privileged upbringing, so. Which is really interesting, particularly the Cotillion part, because you were the last person I imagine as a debutante. <laughs> I know, right? You know what's so ironic is the only other person I know who's gone to Cotillion is my boyfriend. 
He was all, he took the same cotillion classes at the same teacher. So bizarre. We didn't go at the same time because he's a couple of years younger than me. But yeah, it was really like weird. What exactly does one learn in cotillion? Um, you learn, uh, mostly like ballroom dancing, mm-hmm. um, but also etiquette, um, you know, how to eat, uh, snacks properly, a meal properly. Um, I don't, you know, my parents have always, my parents are British, so they've always been really well, big. Your, your mother's, uh, British and your father's South African. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so they've always like been really strict about stuff like table manners. So I was already raised with like this sense of etiquette and how to eat at the table and stuff like that. So I don't really remember that part of cotillion. I just remember, um, <laughs> well, actually I remember one very specific story about cotillion, which is where you really saw the intersection of like what my mom did for a living and like the kind of woman that she was trying to groom me to become. So my mom used to shoot for this catalog called uh, Swimsuit uh, International and not Swimsuit Illustrated, Swimsuit International. And it was this catalog of really bad, like porno, cheesy 80s stuff. Think like Fredericks of Hollywood kind of situation, um, but also like had you know, not just lingerie and swimwear, but also like sexy clothes and stuff like that. So just so like re- Frederick's Hollywood, the old, yeah. old catalog when you get it in the mail. Yeah. Just like really, really bad. So I, and I don't remember how she talked me into this. So here's the thing, right? So like, yes, I did grow up like a privilege, you know, pretty privileged, but we weren't super rich. Yeah. And so I was definitely like definitely the poorest kid at my private school and definitely the poorest kid at my cotillion. And every week I would go to cotillion and you know, everybody would wear this, uh, this fancy ballroom dress and they would have a new dress every week. And my parents couldn't afford to buy me a new dress every week. So That's I crazy. used to wear the same dress like every week. Cause you had to dress up for this thing. You had to wear white gloves, like the whole fucking nine yards. And the idea of wearing the dresses. So you learn how to comport yourself in those garments. I, it was just like the thing. It was mm-hmm. the Beverly Hills cotillion. It was like in this big old mansion. Like it was just. You just dressed up for it. Um, it was, you know, it was etiquette school for rich kids, mm-hmm. and uh, and we couldn't afford to buy me a dress every week. And That's a kid, lot of dresses. It's a lot of dresses, right? So the kids used to make fun of me, and so I was crying to my parents once about like how you know why can't you buy me a new dress? I wear the same dress every week. They're always making fun of me. So my mom's like, well, you know, I brought back a lot of stuff from my latest shoot. Why don't we find something in there for you? And somehow she convinced me to. Wear wear a hot pink spandex jumpsuit to fucking cotillion and i don't know like how she talked me into it but it was literally and it wasn't like it was definitely very trashy but it wasn't like slutty like it was you know like full neck long sleeves long legs with like this tiny little skirt like there aren't any i wish there was so it's literally a spandex jumpsuit. It's hot pink. My mom like thought it was cute or something I'm like very that. Ice skater. I'm trying. I'm having yes, a hard time picturing this. Very like ice skater, so like but full like full hot pink, but with a with a skirt. Yes. Yeah. Well, like, but it was essentially a jumpsuit. The skirt was just like decoration. It's it was like literally like this big. And um, and I went to Cotillion in it, and they kicked me out. They made me because you wore pants because I wasn't wearing an appropriate dress. Oh. And so they kicked me out. The teacher told me, she's like, Holly, you're dressed very inappropriately. Halloween is next week. That's what she said to me. And they kicked me out and they made me sit outside on the stairs and wait for my parents to come pick me up. It was like one of the most humiliating experiences of my life. And that was when like this moment where I was like, maybe my parents aren't like other parents. 
<laughs> Did you go back next week? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So you I weren't like so. kicked out just for the day, not no, totally just from kicked out. And I think like my mom had. To, I think my mom got in a fight with the teacher. My mom was. My mom loves to pick fights with people. Um, I think she got in a fight with the teacher about it. But um, yeah, I, I went back. So. No, did you do the full debutante where you got presented and the whole thing? No, I think that's something different. I don't think Cotillion is like leads up to like a coming out debutante thing. It's just basically like etiquette and dancing school. So my understanding of it is purely from the preppy handbook. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm inferring a lot. Um, so you, both of your parent, both of your siblings ended up working with your parents. Um, in like what capacity and at what point were you already involved in the family business at that point? No, yes, yes, I was. So I was 20 years old when I started working for my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at Brooks Institute of Photography at the time. And like, I always knew I wanted to be a photographer, right? Since like the age of 12. You, there was nothing you else you wanted to be growing up? My other thought was possibly being an English teacher because like mm-hmm. literature and writing was like my other love. Um, and that seemed like kind of a more attainable goal, but like pat- photography was my passion. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was going to Brooks Institute of Photography up in Santa Barbara and my parents had just launched Suzenet. And this is back in, um, like 1998, right? So it's like the very beginning. So they were making a ton of money of right internet. off the bat. Right off the bat. I think they launched like a month before Google Google launched. Two months before Google launched. Jesus Christ, you really did your research. <laughs> Fuck, man. <laughs> so, yes. Um, yeah, and it was just like we were making so much money. Like they didn't know what to do. And so my dad asked me if um, I wanted to come back and like work for them because I was kind of like not really feeling fulfilled at Brooks. It wasn't like my – I wasn't into it. And my dad asked if I wanted to come back and like, you know, work for them, like just in the office doing admin stuff. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm like, I'm kind of over this. That sounds fine. And then I'll like figure out what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went back there and I started working for them. And uh, I, I don't know, it just like, it just kind of fit like it. And, you know, I tell people all the time, like I have a very different introduction to the adult industry than most people do. I grew up in what I call the Sue's bubble. Mm-hmm. So it's like very, very specific. You were never, you didn't have to pay your dues on like grimy no, sets. You no. came at top of the line. I came in at the top, especially. And when we were like killing it and mm-hmm. making all this money. So like the sets were really elaborate and we had the best makeup artists and we had stylists and we had like silk for days. Oh, silk for days. <laughs> Just like really elaborate concepts. Mm-hmm. And we had this freedom now to, to basically create whatever we wanted because we had the budget. We had the budget for it and like we had our own independent platform of getting it out there. You know, we weren't relying on the magazines and stuff. So we'd have a meeting, we'd be like, what do we want to shoot this week? Let's do like a 1930s mobster scene or let's do like, you know, a cute 50s kitchen theme. Like we could just come up with whatever the fuck we wanted. What was it like creatively when you and your mom were both working at the business at the same time when you're coming up with these different concepts and these huge budget projects? Um, I mean, mostly, so Amber was the, was like our kind of web mistress um, who was kind of like running things. And at the beginning, I definitely, you know, didn't really have much say. I was just like assisting. And my mom and I definitely like butted heads a lot when we worked <laughs> together, a lot, especially towards the end um, when I saw the business changing and she didn't want to change with the business. Like I could see that video was becoming more and more prevalent. And, um, you know, my mom's a photographer. She just wanted to shoot pictures. But as the internet bandwidth got better, more and more people wanted to, you know, watch video. And so we butted heads a lot. But, um, 
you know, it would it would be a very much a collaborative effort. But my mom, she, it always had to have her final stamp of approval. Mm-hmm. And um, there were definitely a lot of times that we, uh, you know, we had differences of opinion. What What's probably the most hilarious of those looking back now? Oh, man. Um, God, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I think probably a lot of it just had to do with how, like, she, you know, always stuff always looked kind of her. In my mind, the stuff looked a little dated. Mm. You know what I mean? She wanted to like drape her silk sheets everywhere <laughs> and everything like that. And I wanted to kind of modernize things a little Lots bit. Of horses. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and she, you know, she always wanted to shoot in the studio because that was a very like safe, controlled environment. I wanted to go on location more. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to get like, you know, these beautiful vistas and pools and just like, you know, have a different look. Like you're limited when you shoot in the studio, especially if you're shooting video because you can't really shoot up because then you shoot over the set walls mm. and, you know, you can't do certain angles because you're locked into shooting one way. You've always been very inspired by locations. Of any photographer that I've worked yes. with, as long you're always in some new and exciting place. Yeah. Locations for me are like one of the key elements to, you know, creating like a really great shoot. I'm definitely inspired by locations. I'm always looking for new places to shoot. Um, so yeah, locations are, are a big deal for me. How, do, how does someone become, how does someone make their house a porn location? How does that actually work? You know, it's funny. There are quite a few elements to that. Um, first of all, like, you got to have good taste. You know what I mean? There's so many porn houses that I see people shoot in that I can't handle because it's like really bad 80s decor, like cheap, cheap stuff or like bad, like, you know, kitschy things from Ikea. Like you can tell, you know what I mean? Like I can tell when a location's like cheap. Um, but a lot of ambient light is usually what people want, um, because it makes lighting easier. I don't necessarily mind having a darker, um, space, uh, as long as I have the space to light it. Now, space is super important. You want big rooms because you want to have the room to light. You want to be able to, you know, have some distance between the lights and the subject because that gives you so much more control over how you light it. Um, you want, uh, furniture that's easily cleanable <laughs> you generally don't want fabric furniture especially the white leather couch <laughs> yes especially if you're going to do a sex scene on it it's actually really funny because i have a really good friend who coincidentally her mom rents her place out for porn shoots and i went and i shot there and she had to replace her couch because the couch that she had was falling apart and i was literally like coaching her on like the perfect Porn couch. What is the perfect porn The perfect couch? porn couch is generally white, right? Because you want to bounce the light back up into the genitals Absolutely. so you can see them. Yep. Um, you don't want it to be too soft because mm. you don't want people to sink into it so that you can't see the penetration. You need to be kind of hard. Yep. Um, and you want it to be like a, um, not leather, but something that's easily cleanable. Leatherette. So like, like leatherette, like vinyl, like actually not vinyl because you'd stick v- vinyl that. vinyl squeaks and you get the bad yes, farts with exactly the yeah, yeah yeah so it's got to be like that perfect like that perfect <laughs> material um that's clean that's easily cleanable that um doesn't make create back farts you don't get stuck to um yeah and that um kind of holds you up in the and it's got it can't be too like narrow it's got to be like kind of wide and it's got to have my biggest poor nightmare was they put me and another performer who was six two on a very narrow 
one of those pool lounge chairs with wheels on the back and then oh. you unlock the back and the whole time it's like I'm watching it like inch closer and closer towards the pool. Like, this is how I die. This is <laughs> I've literally, and I'm sure you've been on sets yep. too, where you've literally like I've sat behind, hidden behind a couch yes. and held it in place while yes. the people were fucking on it. Yes. Because they'll travel across the room otherwise. <laughs> I want someone to make like the the porn supply warehouse where all of the furniture is like sturdy with the right material and yes. nothing has a label on it. I know, right? And we got to do that for wardrobe yes. too. We got to do it for shoes. That's like the biggest problem. Taping like, shoes. Taping shoes. There's always brands on shoes, mm-hmm. like specialty license plates. Like <laughs> that's so. There's a whole like industry with shit that you could make for porn sets. I swear to God. So, someday someone will be the Levi Strauss of porn. <laughs> <laughs> They're not mining. They're built, making everything the miners need. Um, so you kind of just fell into the family business. It was just kind of seemed like the easy choice. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, like I said, back when I started, like things were easy. It mm-hmm. was just like money was flowing. We could do whatever we wanted. I remember my dad saying to me once, he was like, you know, he's like, Holly, he's like, Suzanne is always going to be a cash cow and you're going to inherit it. <laughs> Both things turned out to be not true. I mean, you, you are going to inherit it. I guess so at some point. I mean, <laughs> it was funny because the whole time my parents kind of groomed me to take over, right? And then when that time sort of came, my mom was not like going to let go mm. like at all. And it actually was this, this, this time of like incredible personal growth for me because, you know, my initial reaction was like, well, you thought I couldn't have it. And then my other reaction was like, you know what? She spent her whole life building her career, building her name, building this website. Like, I don't have any rights to it. Just because mm-hmm. I'm her daughter doesn't mean that she just has to hand it over to me. Like, she can do whatever the fuck she wants with her business, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and so that's when I decided to go off on my own and start my own website and start my own, my brand. Whole own brand. Yeah. What year was this? This was, um, 19, no, 19, 2007. <laughs> um, and when did you really feel like you had come into your own and that you'd created a brand that was separate from your mom's? When people stopped referring to me as Suze Randall's daughter and started <laughs> referring to me as Holly Randall. Um, About when was that? God, that's a good question. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe eight years ago or something like that. I mean, nowadays it's kind of sad because before it was always like, you know, I was Suze Randall's daughter. Like I wasn't Holly Randall. I was, you know, this always in her shadow. Mm-hmm. And now like people don't know who my mom is. Kids these days don't know shit. And it's kind of sad to me because it's like, you know, she's a legend and she's like a pioneer and, you know, she kind of paved the way for women to work behind the scenes in porn. She paved the way more than anyone else did. Yeah. Um And also, I mean, her and Larry Flint, I think we really owe a big debt to in this industry. Yeah. I mean, I put her up there with them because with mm-hmm. she – owned all of her own content. I mean, mm-hmm. from what I understand, that was because she was full of fight. Yes. <laughs> my mom was definitely – I mean, honestly, like I, there is nobody in the world that I know more than my – maybe Larry, actually. This is one thing that I think Larry Flint my mom have very much in common. They aren't afraid of anybody. No. Like absolutely not. Like my mom isn't afraid of anyone. And it's it's kind of – it's very admirable. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm afraid of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird that kids these days they don't know the history of the industry or yeah. whether that's a whole other topic. Yeah. Um <laughs> So speaking of shooting and developing your own brand going out on yourself in 2007, what's your favorite part of the process and what's what was the most awful part about building your own brand? 
<sighs> the most awful part. Um, God, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think just like, you know, having to make all the decisions and, and having everything reliant on me and basically, you know, there's something to be said for working for somebody else and always knowing that you're going to get a paycheck and that you're, you know, and it may, it may feel boring and it may feel stifled and it may be the same check every, you know, two weeks, but it's the same check. That is not the case with me. If I don't hustle constantly and I don't, um, make money, like everything falls apart. I always feel like I'm on the verge. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, I definitely have, um, months where I'm just like, how the fuck am I going to pay all these bills? Like, how the fuck am I going to do it? And something always comes in last minute. It's kind of incredible, but there's definitely some really scary times. And there's some times where I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep doing this. Like, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, continue to be able to run a business. And it's become more and more difficult as time has gone on and less and less people are paying for porn. You know, it's the same old complaint, but it's, yeah. it's very relevant and it can, it's, it can be incredibly terrifying so why do you keep coming back for more (laughs) i don't know i mean well first of all what the fuck else am i gonna do with my life you know what i mean work for someone else can you imagine someone else telling you what to do well i mean i do work for mind geek so i get told what to do all the time (laughs) goddamn canadians and their scripts but to be fair like so i twisties is like pretty much the only mind geek brand that I work for now. And, um, they have a whole new like vision for this year. And actually the stuff that I'm shooting for them now is fucking dope. Like it's really, it's a lot of work. Um, but this it's is, super cool. Would you include the stuff that you shot with Kira Noir into their new vision for the brand? It is, but that's like their new, that's like last year's new vision. Now they have like a new, new vision, mm-hmm. which has only been, we've only done it with, we've only had three months of that. Ah. Um, so they're putting even more money into production. That's amazing um, because for a long time, kind of what you what you do is that you do the high end glamour stuff, mm-hmm. and for a while, Twisties was trying to cheap out and mm-hmm. not pay for it, and Absolutely. you really saw the the brand suffer and the quality, yeah. just the quality of the shoot suffer because it takes money to make someone look like a goddamn fantasy. Yeah, for sure. And now they're um, they're really giving me a lot more money for production, and I feel like it's really evident. In you know, I mean, they're giving me like. You know, I got like a DP now and, um, you know, a light. That's a director of photographer, just so. Yes, not double <laughs> penetration. Um, and, you know, we're buying like really like high end lingerie and, um, you know, they're coming up with really like cool creative concepts. And uh, it's really cool. I'm really like proud of the stuff that I've been shooting for them. Who's your favorite lingerie brand right now? <sighs> Honey Burdette. Yep. That's a fair. It's an easy answer. Honey Burdette, yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't like Agent Provocateur's new line, and I hate their new ad campaign. I haven't seen their new ad, bank, mm, ad campaign, but Agent Provocateur uh, doesn't size my titties. Mm, um, they your t- ginormous boobs. I'm only a double D, okay? Triple D. E. E. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the time of the month. But yeah, no, I think Agent Provocateur doesn't um, – there's not a lot of latitude in their sizing. They, they mm. really – Design the lingerie for one very specific body type. And yeah. it's just not – and some of it's not great for porn because it's too sheer and sometimes you need yeah. a little bit of coverage so you can shoot some of the Instagram stuff. Yeah, so you can shoot fully covered stuff for Instagram and they can still delete you. Yep. Yes, that's <laughs> still true. Have you worked with um, Savage Fenty or any of the other like celebrity brands that have come out? No, no. I don't think so. That's Rihanna's brand. Okay. I'm just curious. No, I'll have to check it out. Um, okay. So you never asked, answered what's your favorite part of the process. Oh, my favorite part of the process. Um – I think uh, 
It depends. Sometimes it's the shooting if it's people that I enjoy working with. Um, but usually, honestly, like what what I almost always do at the end of each shoot is I come home and I immediately like edit the photos. Yeah. And that's sort of like kind of my favorite part of the process because then I see the accumulation of all my hard work and um, seeing how everything comes together. Because sometimes when you're there and you're in the moment, I'm stressing about so many different things um, that I'm not really like thinking about, you know, it depends. It, sometimes while I'm shooting, I'm like, this is so amazing. And I get really excited. So it just depends on the day and like how many variables I'm juggling and like the talent and that kind of stuff. But sure. kind of like, yeah, kind of like at the end when like I'm done and I see what I've created, that's sort of, or like I, the final video edit that's like you know that moment where you're like oh all that was worth it or all that wasn't worth it (laughs) depends every day is different every day is different so okay so in 2007 you started working for yourself and i i don't understand um i want to know what the timeline with your struggle with addiction was over these years oh man how that overlays with you know how starting you know starting your own business. So I, um, I literally got sober like right before I started my own business. So I was, um, really struggling with my alcoholism the whole time I was working for, um, my parents. And to be honest, like (laughs) if I'd been working for anybody else, I would have been fired a million times over because I was a fucking mess, especially towards the end. Um, I mean, I was drinking all the time. I was drinking in the morning just to stop the shakes. Like, I mean, like People have no idea how bad I got. I somehow was able to sort of hide it. Um, yeah, but I was I was a mess. I mean, I drank on shoot. There was a couple of shoots that I've done that I don't remember, mm. like at all. I completely blacked out. Um, and you know, I had a lot of. I mean, my my parents kind of covered for me. I think they had a really hard time dealing with it, and they didn't know like because no one in my. I mean, my family's. There's definitely alcoholics in my family, but nobody's ever, there's no sober people in my family. I'm the only person who's ever been through recovery Mm -hmm. and they really didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, I remember at one point my mom bought me a very fancy espresso machine because she thought if I drank more coffee, I drink less alcohol or like I could sober myself up more. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, she just didn't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went to rehab twice. You know, so cushy rehab or tough rehab. Um, I went to like middle of the road rehab. I didn't go to like promises or anything like that. But um, it was it was nice, but it wasn't like we didn't like have yoga and a Mm -hmm. private chef or anything like that. But I also like didn't go to like prison rehab. So I went back to the same place twice. Okay, Yeah. yeah. It's kind of funny because when I first went, I refused to admit that I was an alcoholic. I was like, oh, I just need to like come here and like get my shit together, dry out, like, you know, takes 30 days off, like learn how to drink like a lady and, um, and then I'll be fine. I'm not like the rest of you. And I just remember the counselors being like, you'll, you'll be back. And I'm like, no, I won't. I won't be back. I don't, you know, I'm not like you. I'm different. You know, it's like the cry of every alcoholic. And then, uh, yeah, I remember actually, this is the scary thing about alcoholism is that, um, it's the only disease that tells you you don't have a disease. And when I, uh, so after my first stint out of rehab, I didn't drink for three months, right? But then my birthday came along and I was like, well, I have to drink on my birthday. I mean, everybody drinks on their birthday. Don't be ridiculous. And so I went out to dinner with my family and uh, I ordered a glass of wine. And my mom looked at me like, dude, we just fucking put you through rehab. Like, what are you doing? 
And I took her hand and I looked her in the eye and I meant every single word. And I said to her, I said, mom, I promise you, I will never drink like that again. I now know how to drink like a lady. I've like been to rehab. I've had all this therapy and I promise you it's going to be different this time. And like, I fucking believed it. I really, really did. And then about four months later, I was back to exactly where I was before. And I was just like, how the fuck did I get here? Mm. Cause that's the thing. Like before, I really understood what alcoholism was. I thought that it was just something that people who were weak, people who had no willpower had, or people like, you know, who had a lot of trauma in their past or grew up, you know, in like a horrible, impoverished environment, like people who had reasons to be alcoholics, right? Like I didn't have any reason. I had a great childhood. I had a family who loved me. I had friends who loved me. I had a great successful career. I had like everything going for me and I just couldn't stop. And it was the most frustrating thing in the world because I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And I kept trying to think my way yeah. out of the disease. Um, and I, I just couldn't do it. It's the strangest thing. It's impossible to explain to somebody who hasn't been through addiction, but it literally is just like this entity takes you over and you're not in control of yourself anymore. Absolutely. It's really crazy. Absolutely. So you got sober around the time you started your own business. Would you say that your business is kind of an addiction? Because you work harder than anyone that I have ever seen. I feel like all the energy you put into drinking is now put into Hollywood. 100%. Yeah. That's the problem with being like an addict is that like I always will be an addict in some way. It's just like what do I transfer that addiction, that obsession to? And work absolutely became um, that obsession for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was where I got my validation from. It made me feel good. Um, and it's something that I definitely still struggle with. I still work yeah. like all the time. And um, lately I've kind of been in this place where I think to myself, I'm like, you know – and, and I think especially now with the internet and social media and all these different ways of monetizing, you know, our brand and, and mm-hmm. different things that we can do. And I'm, you know, I've, I mean, anybody who knows me, I've got like 5,000 projects that I'm trying to juggle at one time. And I always, I feel guilty if I'm not working all the time. Like if I take some time off, I feel like I should be doing something right now. And then I was trying to think to myself, I was like, what do I want? Like, what am I trying to achieve? Where am I trying to go? And like, is this actually making me happy or is it just like creating more and more stress in my life? What was the answer you came up with? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still figuring that out. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Um, So you mentioned earlier, I think this may have been off camera that, so you're now in a steady relationship. You've been with uh, your partner for a while. Yes. Um, But he's, he's not sober. No, he is not. Yeah. He is also not an alcoholic. He is somebody who's capable of having one or two beers and then like being fine with that, which I still don't understand <laughs> at all. And is is that hard for you to date someone that can drink responsibly? Um no, honestly, like he doesn't ever have any um any hard liquor in mm. the house. Um he took all that away because that's kind of like my trigger. Yeah. Um, beer is not really my trigger. So, um, you know, when I was struggling, he kept alcohol out of the house, but now that I feel like I'm kind of like doing all right with it, like he'll have beer in the house, but like he, 
you know, he kind of watches it. And like, I mean, look, if I'm going to take a beer, like he's going to notice. He doesn't have like the fridge stock with beer. He'll just bring home beer for like that night if Mm -hmm. he wants a beer that night. Or if he gets wine, he always dumps the bottle out when he's done. Um, We had some friends come stay and the guy bought a bottle of gin and he made him take the gin into his bedroom at night and uh-huh. then he made him dump it after he left. So like he won't leave like open bottles around me. That's so thoughtful. Yeah, very <laughs> sweet. It's very sweet. So okay. I think we have to take a quick break. We do. So we're going to do that. We'll be right back. Are you feeling tired all the time? Moody? Do you find your gut often disagreeing with what you ate for dinner? I've definitely experienced all of these things. And I've honestly found that since I've started taking my daily care of vitamins, A lot of these issues have either lessened or gone away. I really don't know how I got through my long, busy days before I found my care of vitamins. If feeling better isn't enough motivation for you, then this should be. For a limited time, Care Of is offering 50% off your first month of vitamins. Go to TakeCareOf.com and use my code HOLLY50 to redeem this amazing offer. That's half off a month full of vitamins, supplements your body needs, but you can't really deliver in your diet alone. So get yourself on track to feeling better today. Go to TakeCareOf.com and don't forget to use code HOLLY50 for 50% off your first one. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the show. And I'm going to turn it now over to our host for the day, Ryan. Ryan Healy, I'm so happy that you asked me on to interview you. I have a couple... I have a couple questions. Um, so in part of this process of me coming on, I look, got a pass to your site and I looked at it. And I was wondering, do you ever worry about perpetuating damaging beauty standards? Because there is a distinct lack of diversity in your work. <sighs> yes. Um, it's interesting that you should say that because I definitely like – I. <sighs> I obviously struggle with like beauty standards as well. Yes. Um, I always think that, was- that, yeah, I need to look perfect. Um, and shooting all of these girls who kind of look perfect definitely like, I think probably affects me on some level. I think I need to look like them, especially as I get older and the girls like, stay you the know, same stay age. the same age. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I've definitely thought about that and, um, it's kind of been, it's been a bit of a struggle, but the thing is, is like, I have kind of my niche and if I, st- your quote unquote brand. Yeah. So it's like, if I start, like, that's kind of why I wanted to actually create my podcast mm. was because I, I thought that was a good way for me to explore diversity in the adult industry. Um, and, you know, I've had, uh, you know, I had Carla Lane on, who is a BBW performer. I've had, um, you know, I had Rob Black, Rob Black, Rob Piper on and Kira Noir and Anna Fox to talk about, like, you know, being people of color in the industry and, um, you know, if they felt that they ever experienced racism in the industry. So I've kind of used my podcast to explore more of the diversity. But in terms of my brand, it's just, it is very much just like glamour. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the thing is, is that I would not be opposed to shooting other kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, you know, bigger women or anything like that. It's just like, I mean, look, I'm going to be honest, like my website isn't exactly killing it these days. It's like <laughs> really hard to like keep up with everybody else. So I'm just kind of like shooting stuff as I can. So I, I it's not really 
financially feasible for me to like kind of use it to explore like shooting other genres and different kinds of stuff. I have a hard time hanging on to my members <laughs> as it is. So, um, you know, but if someone was to come to me and say, Hey, Holly, you know, I would love to hire you to mm-hmm. shoot these like BBW performers, I would be like a hundred percent for it. So you've also recently launched uh, like a art project. Uh, yes. Holly Randall's art in that space. Do you see yourself possibly exploring more diverse body types and age ranges. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I would love to do that. Right now I'm working on um, just like a kind of, you know, a generic beauty art book um, mm-hmm. and uh, which you can support by going to patreon.com slash Holly Randall art. The pictures I've seen on the Instagram, which is Holly Randall art. Yeah. So if you want to like check myself up for free, go look at my new Instagram, Holly Randall art and then sign up and give her money. Yes. And then sign up, give me money so I can continue to produce this book. So, um, that's just, I mean, that's kind of me like stepping my toe in the water and like, Mm -hmm. you know, just seeing how it goes. And then if I'm able to create that book and it's somewhat successful, like I am down for shooting all different kinds of people. Actually, honestly, one, one book that I would love to create, which again would be a totally separate project would be something tied to this podcast. Mm. So it would be like having my guests and, you know, maybe doing like a little write up about, um, them on my show as guests, the experience, the story, that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. And then shooting like really beautiful portraits of them. Um, you know, having people like a trans, you know, I've had transgender people on Buck Angel, um, you know, BBW performers. Um, I mean, everybody, like I would love the chance to explore that. So in that scenario, I would be shooting your portrait if that project happened. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> that's true. And that makes me think about how you recently accidentally posted your own nude photos. <laughs> yeah. And did you enjoy being objectified? <laughs> did you find being nude on the internet freeing? Or tell me about that experience and process. It's funny, actually. It was um, it was quite an experience. And uh, so... The most shocking day of my life on Twitter. And I've been on Twitter too, since 08. Me too. Me too. And no one fucking believes me that it was an accident. But it was... <laughs> I, I will stick to it. It was 100% an accident. So my assistant, not, not Eva... Um, accidentally uploaded, um, my nude photos to my website and it was 100% not her fault. Cause I did not give her the correct instructions. There was basically what happened was, so I shot these and these were 10 years ago with Mark Don. I shot these like implied nude photos and then we shot some topless stuff. Cause I was like, ah, fuck it. You know, why not? And maybe I'll give them to my boyfriend. Maybe I'll post them one day. Like, why not? Um, so we shot them, but I never published them. Now I still got them retouched and everything. So they were in the gallery, but when she went to, she uploaded the whole folder and then she went into like the online CMS gallery and deleted those pictures, forgetting that there's a separate upload, which is the downloadable zip files. So they were in the downloadable zip files and we didn't realize that. So I woke up the next morning and my boobs were all over Twitter and I was like, oh my God. (laughs) And I actually ended up on like the front page of Reddit and like the subreddit, like, whoops, I didn't mean to, which is clearly like an ironic thing because no one believes me. (laughs) Um, And so my first thought was like, holy shit. And then I was like, okay, like. First of all, I know better than anybody that once it goes on the internet, there's no taking it back, right? No. So there's it's like, I can't, like, I can't get out of this. Like, no. they're out there and you may as well own it. Well, I knew my parents wouldn't care. So I wasn't worried about that. Um, I was worried about what my boyfriend might think. Yeah. 
So I called him. He was at hockey. I called him and I was like, hey, babe, I got some news for you. And I told him and he did not give a shit. He was like, that's all right. Cool. He's like, they're great boobs. Like, it's all good. So I was like, okay, like this is, this is good. And then I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to promote it. Like if they're out there, I'm going to own it. I'm going to promote it. And my website made more money that weekend than it's ever made. There you go. So, um, power of boobies. And I, and I also thought to myself too, like, you know, I'm always shooting naked women and, you know, I don't think it's a big deal for them to be naked. Like it's a little bit, um, hypocritical of me. Yeah. yeah, To be like freaked out about me being naked on online and, and what kind of message is that sending? So, um, but to be honest, like, and I've had people ask me to shoot nude again. I just, I'm just not really all that comfortable with it. I'm just like, I'm, I'm more comfortable being behind the camera. I'm not, so I don't, I really enjoy being in front of the camera. I mean, like this kind of stuff and on video and being like, but I don't know. Like, it's just, it's kind of not my thing. Yeah. I mean, your, your career choices have proven that it's not your thing. <laughs> like you had a million opportunities to get in front of a camera. Yeah. It's just, um, and I think especially now, you know, being 40, I'm like, eh, no, maybe, you know, it might be good to show a beautiful woman at 40. <sighs> Anyway, know, but I'm so self-critical. <laughs> I mean, just being on, you know, my Playboy TV show and seeing myself on TV. You went so crazy with your looks when you were on Playboy TV. I know because they were very weird about image there. Yeah. You had extensions in. You were working out like crazy. Yep. Like you were the you, – you went through a bangs phase, which we always know. Yes. Someone's upset when they get bangs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I went through a bangs phase. Um, yeah. And I just found myself like, I couldn't watch it. Yep. And when I watched it, I would just pick myself apart. I couldn't watch constantly. my show either. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, there's so many things wrong with me. And it made me honestly, like, I'm kind of glad that I did it. Cause it really made me see what it must like to be a model and what, what it's like to be a performer and to be in front of the camera mm-hmm. all the time and to feel constantly judged and to be like so self-critical. And I can see now how models can get in that head fuck mm-hmm. where they think they need all this plastic surgery and they think they need all this work and they're insecure about their looks. So it really like gave me a lot of compassion for the girls who are on the other side of the camera. So it was kind of a good experience in that way. So we talk a lot about how, and you talk about how your mother influenced you. How has your father influenced you? (sighs) You have to break up that Kleenex. Um, My dad is, um, fuck, dude. What the fuck? Um, Sorry. (laughs) Um, My dad is like definitely one of the biggest influences on me. I mean- it was always like daddy's little girl and um it's always been like my goal in life to make him proud and um I'm struggling with parkinson's now which is really hard for me because like seeing him weakened is just it's really tough you know he was always like such a strong figure in my life and a lot of people don't know about my dad because you know my mom's always been in the forefront she's always been like such this strong figure and she loves the camera and my dad's really like shine behind the scenes but my dad has been a major driving force behind my mom's success um you know the whole time my parents have been together since they were in their early 20s my dad helped my mom build her business he was the one who encouraged her to become a model which then led to her becoming a photographer um and my mom really respects my dad's opinion more than anybody. Like my dad thinks something's a bad idea. Like my mom won't do it. So he's always been like the quiet driving force behind the family. And uh, my dad and I are very similar in a lot of ways. Um, we both struggle with alcoholism. Um, we both like have difficulty with like emotional connection. 
Um, it's not that easy for me to get close to people. And, um, I don't know. We have this like intrinsic understanding of each other. Um, that's, that's really kind of unique. So yeah, my dad has been, um, you know, and he's, he's the writer in the family and he's really intelligent. And, you know, I've always wanted to, I don't know. I've just always, it's been like more important for me to make like my dad proud than like anybody else. I feel like your dad is very proud of you. I think so. Yeah. yeah. He always like wants to hear about like what I'm doing and he's always like excited about, he's always, he's always been really um, like, you know, my mom's my, look, <laughs> my mom thinks that everything I do is like a great idea that all my ideas are great. <laughs> like in true mom fashion, she's always like, Oh honey, you know, that's such a good idea and you're so smart and all that kind of stuff. But I know she kind of just says that because she loves me. Like my dad is only um, proud of something that I've done, like if he feels that he has a reason to. Like there's a little bit more like discernment in how my dad feels about certain things. You know what I mean? Um, so so like when my dad says that he's proud of me for something, um, it means it means a lot. Yeah. Let's, on that quiet note, let's wow. turn it over to the chat room. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we have some questions coming in from the chat room. Uh, do you want to get on mic or do you just want to shout them out? I think people will be able to hear you. Oh, let's get her a mic. Oh, people told you that you're beautiful. Aw, thank you people who told me I'm beautiful. So while we're getting uh, Eva, you, you, Eva, 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 yes, I was right. Oh, Eva, sit up with the mic. It's Eva. I have a silly question for you <laughs> because you were one of the straightest people I know. <laughs> Who would you go gay for? Oh, man. Dead or alive, celebrity, porno, doesn't matter. Who would you go gay for? And actually like licking the vagina, not just making out. <laughs> oh, I'm so not into girls. Um, God, I don't know. I mean, maybe like Angelina. I know this is so like like cliche, but like Angelina Jolie is really sexy. Um, that's a respectable answer. Yeah. She's, she's really sexy. So it would have to be somebody with like a very aggressive, like it couldn't be someone, it would have to be somebody beautiful, but also someone like kind of aggressive in their sexuality because I'm into like being dominated and stuff like that. So it would have to be somebody that would chase me for sure. All right. Noted. (laughs) All right. Let's go to Eva. What's in the chat room? All right. So I'm just going to go to the top here and see. Um, so questions for you, Holly. One of the first ones was, um, what was your favorite location that you've ever shot at? I feel like somebody asked me this the other day. Um, that's a good question. I, when I would go to, when I would go to Prague, um, and shoot there, uh, there was some really, we shot in this old castle, and to be honest, like the interior was really shitty. It was like bad, like cheap castle, <laughs> but the outside was amazing. There was like so much greenery and there was this huge field, um, full of rapeseed flowers, which is actually, it's like, not as bad as it sounds. I know it's actually like, <laughs> it's a terrible name. Um, and I shot Connie in that, uh, huge field of flowers. And I really, really Connie. loved that. Connie Carter, she's like a big boobed Czech model. Um, usually like outdoor locations are generally my favorite. I love like having like the big Vista, um, on, you know what, actually that's a lie. Mexico. When I've shot for Playboy Plus in Mexico, um, 
my friend Luke got us the most incredible locations. We got this beautiful house that was on top of this mountain where I shot uh, Gia Ramey Gay up there. That was incredible with this amazing view. I mean, shooting on the beach, shooting. I shot Jennifer Vaughn on a yacht. I shot Chloe. Um, These photos are some of my favorite photos of yours. Thank you. I yeah. love your Playboy Plus work. Yeah, I know. I shot some of my best stuff for them for sure. Um, but yeah, stuff of Chloe like on a yacht and her and Stephanie Knight on this beach at sunset was like incredible. The shoots themselves were super fucking stressful. I remember like I was so excited when I first went to Mexico to shoot for Playboy and we were shooting on the beach because I'd like never shot on a beach before. And it just seems like such an idyllic place to shoot. And it's like so amazing and like tropical and like paradise. It's a fucking nightmare yes yeah, shooting on a beach bugs. Is a, it's a nightmare and it's like the models can't see because everything's so bright everything's so windy. bright the sun it's fucking hot mm-hmm. um yeah the sand getting in between everything like sand wasps are a thing oh yeah jennifer vaughn got stung in the middle of the shoot um we actually got we almost got moored on our boat we almost got stuck on an island when we were shooting out there because the tide came in so quickly the wind um, and not to mention like random fucking like people just, you know, you don't get to actually like have a private beach. You got to just find a beach where no one's at. And then like people show up and then you're like, hee hee, we're not shooting nudes. <laughs> I mean, luckily it was Playboy, so it wasn't such a big deal. Um, but, uh, yeah, those were some of my, my favorite shoots. Like looking at them now, I'm like, oh my God, that's such an amazing shoot. But I just remember at the time it was like super stressful. <laughs> <laughs> That makes sense. I remember there was actually a whole town that we shut down and we shot in the middle of the street. I shot Chloe and Stephanie on like this like two-parter motorcycle. Um, and it was, I forget what the town was called, but um, yeah, we literally, and the thing was, is that my producer out there, Luke was so amazing. He got like, he was so like, he so knows his way around and like um, was tight with like the board of tourism. He got me a permit from the Mexican government what? to shoot nudity in public, like what? from the fucking government. It was like, amazing. So yeah, we shot in the middle. It's this tiny town and we shut down the street. That's amazing. And we fucking shot these two naked girls in the middle of the street. And there's people everywhere in cafes and like, you know, guys on. I mean, everyone was watching. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, Stephanie and Chloe didn't give a shit. But that was like, <laughs> that was definitely like a different experience. It was yeah. pretty fucking cool. All right. Um, that was, by the way, from, I'm going to try to say this. It's a chat room name, but it's yes. Bliss Tixi or B L S Taxi, T X I. Blues Taxi. Blues Taxi. Well, there Thanks, you go, guys. Taxi. Thanks, Holly, for f- fixing that in my brain for me. <laughs> now we have uh, Richard Hurtado um, actually asking about something I'm sure you want to talk about. Um, are you working on a fifth book or any memoirs in the future? Well, yes. So um, my Patreon, patreon.com slash Art is where I'm trying to generate funds to shoot my next book. And um, that one is going to be the first book that I've actually shot that's completely curated and shot by me. My other four books through Goliath, um, I didn't choose any of the photos. They did, which which is great. But I feel like it's more of a commercial representation of my work. This stuff, I'm really trying to shoot outside of the box. I'm shooting a lot of natural light, which is very unusual for me, playing with a lot of like light and shadows, like you know, stripping away like all the makeup and the wardrobe and all that stuff and having it just being about the female form. Um, it's been, it's been very different for me. And I'm actually really excited because I'm doing a collaboration with Alan Amoto, uh, next week. We're shooting Ali Rose. He's shooting her for his new book and I'm shooting her for my book. And we're like kind of like a co, um, 
promoting each other's Patreon. So that's going to be my next project. I haven't actually officially announced it, but there you go. I just announced that it. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited. <laughs> He's a super talented photographer. Yeah. So it's going to be really cool. He's going to set up like something the way that he would shoot it. And he's like going to kind of teach me about his process. And then I'm going to shoot in like his, his style. style. And then I'm going to show him my style and my process. And he's going to shoot in my style. Well, and the thing is lighting wise, being familiar with both your work is you couldn't be more different. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and your your lighting is one of my favorite things, and I think why all the girls like shooting with you. <laughs> Do you never skip on lighting or makeup? No, no. God, makeup is so important. Yeah. You know, when I have like people that just, uh, I had actually somebody reach out to me recently um, about hiring me to shoot for them. And they were like, cool with all the rates, but then they like, didn't want to pay for a makeup artist. And like the girls can do their own makeup. I'm like, Mm-mm. Nope. That's a fucking deal breaker because it just like, it makes such a huge difference having like professional makeup done. Like yeah. it's half the battle. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, we actually didn't literally because of the makeup, we like didn't work together. There you go. What's yeah. next? Um, this is about your personal life. Um, Mr. Paul Sanders wants to know why are you monogamous? Um, because I'm just that kind of person. I mean, when I'm like single and I'm like, you know, like playing, you know, before I met my boyfriend, I had like a few side pieces and that was fine. But like when I'm emotionally attached to somebody, I just don't want to be with somebody else i don't i don't know i'm not like i know i should be like more like crazy sexually and i should like be more polyamorous and stuff like that but like especially you like girls and that's a big part of swinger lifestyle yeah yeah <laughs> yeah especially like in my old age i'm just kind of vanilla i'm not my sex life is not as exciting as it as it used to be Mission i mean the tits. it's it's great but you know like i just i don't know i love my boyfriend and um, he's the best thing that ever happened to me, and and he's you know the kind of person who is only does only monogamy, and I'm kind of the same way, and I just don't I just don't want to be with anyone else, really. Okay. Um. Uh. There's actually a question for you, Ryan, that's similar to a question that you asked Holly. Um. Kelsey Smith wants to know. Um. Would you ever date a woman? No. <laughs> that was are That's you sure it? about that yeah. because you took a while to answer that uh i have tried dating women in the past mm-hmm. um the problem is i don't like to talk about my feelings i'm at all and a lot of times when I date women, that's all the relationship is. It's suddenly there's no sex and just conversations about emotions. Talking about feelings, not enough fucking. <laughs> yeah. Um, Eva is speaking from experience. That, and that's why. <laughs> I slept with women. <laughs> well, that's actually one of the biggest reasons why um, I started doing Girl, Girl and Porn is that I tried to date women and I was like a lot of – I'm into – Glamour models. The women I'm into are like like tall and pretty and glamorous. You know, Juliana Jensen's, Charlie Theron. Like they're all. You know, I have a type for sure, and that type is very rare in the lesbian community. And if you do find them, they do not want to put out. You want to have like five dates of no sex, and that is just not how I roll at all. (laughs) (laughs) But a lady side piece for sure. Sup, girls? (laughs) Hear that, ladies? If anyone's interested, which I'm sure a lot of people I'm are. the strong but not so t- silent type. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I actually tried to answer this for someone earlier, which maybe I should not have. But um, this is, again, from Paul Sanders. He wanted to know um, if you've stopped teaching photography or if there's some workshops in the future, which I 
said that maybe there was in the summer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I haven't, I haven't done a workshop in a while. I've just been so caught up in other projects. Um, yeah, I, I will, I will do another workshop. I just honestly don't know when it's not really at the forefront of, um, my mind, but a lot of people have been asking. So, so I should do another one. So, and I like my workshops too. Like they're a lot of fun and it's, it's a lot of the same people that come back. So it's kind of like this little community of like people who know each other and we have like inside jokes and like, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of fun. So, um, I, I kind of, I miss them. They're just, they're a lot of work to put on and they're expensive to put on and, um, the profit margin isn't massive. Um, and it's just a lot of work and like mental energy, but, um, I, I do enjoy them. So it's something that I should do. Finding a, like a perfect location for that is actually the most difficult because, you know, it's seven people. I won't have more than seven students because I want everyone to have like a personal experience, but still like finding a place that's big enough to hold like seven people plus my crew and all the parking and have like many options, you know, different looks that we can shoot the girl and is not that easy. It's really not. And is affordable. Yeah. That's the key. I mean, Kelly's house is the only thing that really comes to mind. I've shot. I've already done a workshop there. <laughs> and you just can't go back. You need that I, new place for I that know. inspiration. That's, honestly, I try to always get a new girl in a new place, and that's that's what's hard. I love the models that you pick for your workshop because they're always the most symmetrical girls at the moment. Like they're at like peak symmetry. I try to really – there's there's a couple of like things that, that qualify for a girl that I have in my workshop. Um, generally, I try to get a girl who is um, – obviously a really good model and kind of like doesn't need any direction because a lot of my students aren't comfortable giving the girls direction. And like one of the other really important things is that she's very patient and very kind because they, it's an exhausting thing for the model. It's, you know, like eight hours, one photographer, you have, Eight photographers. Yeah, exactly. And some people don't know how to give you direction and you got to get dressed and undressed like fucking – and we do three different sets. So it's a, it's a lot and it's very draining for the model. So I need someone who's super patient mm-hmm. and, you know, and these – my students can get really intimidated. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you don't want somebody who with an attitude. So it's, it's kind of tough. Yeah, there's – yeah. Bailey Ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was great. She was great. Who else? Have, who else have been your favorite workshop models? Um, Emily Bloom's yes. like fucking amazing. Um, Allie Rose is fantastic. Talia Paris, um, uh, Aura Young is fucking amazing. I love that girl so much. Um, God, who else have I? Sky Blue. She was my latest one. She's fucking amazing. Wait, 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 wait. Is there a new sky blue? There's or? a new sky blue. Okay, because there there was a legendary sky yeah, blue. It's a totally different sky blue. Noted. Cool. Yeah. All right. Moving <laughs> on. Oh, somebody wants to know how tall you are, Holly. Five and Ryan. How tall are you both? Five seven. Uh, from Walter, by the way. Slightly Kate under Waller. five nine. Slightly under five nine. Yeah. Since they took the rib out, I can't claim five nine anymore. Uh, <laughs> I'm shrinking with age. <laughs> I know, right? Aren't we all? Yeah. Um, I also have a question. Um, is there a lot of off-camera sex before and after a scene? I'm assuming C they mean between the performers. Yes. Generally not. No. It depends. It depends. Sometimes you get people who are so into each other that it does happen and you have to like tear them apart. But usually no. 
Yeah. Yeah. They're there to get a hose. It's like separating a dog's in a fight. (laughs) (laughs) But usually no, because especially too, like, you know, like the girls like had her makeup done and stuff like that. So somebody comes and start like fucking Tony Rebus. He would always come in and like start sucking your, start making out with you before the scene starts and like just suck all the makeup off. And I'm like, fuck off of her. Yeah. Like, and then the makeup artist got to redo her again. And and you got to think about miles on the vagina. I mean, it's, it's very, it's a tender part of the body and people get chafed. Yeah. And also too, you don't want the, if it's a guy, you don't want the guy to wear himself out before the scene even starts. Yeah. So. Yeah. Is that it? So you might have to take this from me because it's vanished. All right. Why? Oh, the Google voice. Uh-huh. Uh, you have you have questions. Yes. Yes. Um, do you have a no list, Holly? Is there a performer, company, or anybody else in the industry you won't work for? And are you mean enough to call them out? Um, I will not call them out, but I definitely have a no list. And <laughs> it's generally girls who either like have a shitty attitude on set. Um, or mostly girls who like no show on me or like Mm. cancel on me a couple of times. Like I find, you know, obviously everybody's got a situation where they cancel on you for one reason or another, like shit happens. Like I totally get that. But if you straight up no show on me and you don't have an excuse, like I will never book you again. Cause that's just a huge disrespect for my time, my cruise time. Like it's just, it's not okay. I think my favorite story about a girl canceling, I think this was on set with you, but a girl chipped her tooth and sent us a picture of her gap tooth. Was that you? It could have been, man. I've had so many bizarre, like, reasons that it certainly is possible i don't know i've had a lot of cancellations for you know one reason or another yeah i feel like i was supposed to have sex with some girl for you and then the girl couldn't make it because she had chipped her tooth on her coffee mug that morning and sent us a picture of her big gap tooth yeah that might might have been certainly might have been Google voice question okay. that you received right. yeah. from lovely Beverly Jones, aka Jazz Bones Jones on Twitter. Beverly's oh, awesome. I love her. Play it right now for you. Okay, so you let's can, hope it works. Uh, go ahead and answer that. We're going to find out right now. Hi, Holly. This is Beverly Jones, aka Jazz Bones Jones on Twitter and on your Patre- Patreon accounts. I have a question. Um, I'm, I know that you uh, are. Uh, in recovery. And my question is, has your job or porn or just the whole business ever th- been a threat to your recovery? Be it, um, it creates some type of a, you know, the old saying, stinking thinking or, or what have you. I'd like to know that. And keep up the good work. I love you. You make such pretty, pretty things, beautiful, pretty, sexy things. Thank you, girl. And give Khaleesi a scratch and a kiss for me for saving her uh, cousin. All right. Bye-bye. But, yeah, that's a whole story. Thank you, Beverly. Um, so to answer your question, um, that's a good question. <sighs> I mean – I would say no. So here, here's like one kind of interesting thing. Um, when I for I remember like when I was first started trying to get sober, I remember telling my therapist, I was like, I can't get sober. I work in the porn industry. Everybody in the porn industry drinks and does drugs. Like it's impossible for me. Like how can I work in that industry and like be sober? Like nobody's sober. And I was sure, you know, and also at the time too, I just felt like nobody in the world was sober or needed to get sober. I had the problem that I had. And then I remember, 
that year, because um, I think I was really stressed about going to the AVN show. And the AVN show, there's a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs there. Um, and I found out through somebody else in the industry that there was a private um, AA meeting for industry people only at the AVN show. And I remember I went to that and I obviously like won't call the people out, but there were some of like the biggest names and like um, company owners and like directors at that meeting. And I was like, Oh my God, all these people in the industry are sober. And it really like gave me, it was very comforting. I was like, they can, you know, these people worked in this industry for years and they're sober and they can manage it. Like maybe I can do this too. And, um, I've noticed that with social media, a lot of people are now, you know, talking more about like their struggles with, with addiction, with mental health issues and that kind of stuff. And, um, there are a lot of people in the industry who are sober and have, you know, been through their struggles with addiction and have come out on the other side and are working actively in the adult industry and are sober. So if you're somebody who's in the adult industry and you're struggling with addiction, like you are not alone. There are a lot of us out there who are sober and, you know, we can always help you. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I mean, I go to work, I do my job and I come home. I, I generally don't go to a lot of the parties, a lot of adult events, um, industry events. Um, I just, I kind of don't, you know, do all that party stuff. That's why you won't really see me at a lot of them. You it's do just, the red carpet and then you bail. I, yeah, pretty much. I do the red carpet and then I bail. It's just not like, you know, and it's not that I mind. I don't mind being around drinking, but, you know, at some point when everybody else is wasted and you're it's the funny. only person that's sober in the room and the same person has been telling you the same story over and over again five times, it gets really boring and it's time to go home. So I just kind of stay out of slippery places. And then... um in regards to you like had that question about like Khaleesi saving her, her cousin. So my dog is Khaleesi. Um, Oscar is my mom's dog. And basically what happened was Oscar, long story short, cause it's kind of a long story. He fell down that deep gorge on oh, the side of this. the hill at my parents' ranch. And my boyfriend went out there to look for him after my mom had already written him off and was sure he was dead because she thought a coyote took him because he's a little Jack Russell. And my boyfriend went out there with um, Khaleesi and Khaleesi found the dog still alive. And my boyfriend rescued the dog and uh, saved the dog's life. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing story. Like if my parents didn't like – my parents already love my boyfriend. Now he's like the fucking hero. Like <laughs> save the family dog. Like, so. That's how you do it. <laughs> I know, right? It was pretty pretty impressive. <laughs> is there anything else that you want to cover before we wrap up? We're kind of at that time. Um, I, I guess the only other thing I want to say is, um, I just want to thank my listeners so much, um, for, you know, supporting my podcast. This honestly was just like a little, like, kind of thing I threw at the wall. I really didn't think it was going to go anywhere. And, um, it's been more successful than I imagined. And it's a I, great podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I think, um, we just actually reached, uh, 700,000 downloads a couple days ago. Oh my God. So I think we're going to hit the 1 million mark before a two-year anniversary, which would be like insane. So everyone that's listening, make sure that you tell all of your friends, yes. subscribe, hit the like button, leave a review. Yes. That's also really, really helpful. Um, and if you want to support the show, which, you know, it, it ain't it ain't free for me to produce, um, go to patreon.com slash Holly Randall Unfiltered. Um, that means a lot to me. And also, too, it's not only just 
paying for the costs and everything and paying for like my time. Um, but like if I'm able to make more money through people donating, then I'm able to do stuff like there's a lot of girls that you guys want me to interview who don't live in LA mm-hmm. and it's really hard for me to get them down there. But if I had the funds to fly them out and put them up, then there's a chance that I could get more and more of your favorite adult stars on. So that's just give her money. Give consider. her all of it. Give Do me it all your money. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also too, I really want to thank um, more than anything is my guests and the people who come on and really like open themselves up and talk about really personal, private um, ordeals. And it's just like, it's so appreciated. And, my listeners really respond to that. And I just love like the open communication, you know, that we have on the show and, and, uh, you know, you're really changing people's ideas of what they think about the porn industry. I get that from listeners all the time that say, you know, now that I've listened to your podcast, like I see porn stars differently. I see the adult industry and, you know, how we've kind of like humanized the industry. So I just want to thank all of my guests for coming on and opening up the way that you do and trusting me with your story. I really appreciate that. And, you know, people like Ryan over here, who's just like amazing. And thank you so much for coming out and spending your time to ask me these questions. Um, you and I are very similar in the way that both of us just want microphones in our face at all times with people listening. So thank you. Thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate it. This was super awesome. Yeah. Okay, guys, um, I guess that's it. And then also, too, uh, don't forget, I have a Facebook group as well. So go to facebook.com slash groups slash Holly Randall Unfiltered and join the conversation. That's it. Okay, bye. I want to thank my guests for coming by and chatting with us today. And a big thanks to you for tuning in. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us more than you know. And if you're interested in behind-the-scenes access to the show, special bonus content, live streams of us taping the podcast, and more, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Unfiltered. You can even submit your own questions or get an autographed photo from one of our guests. Next week on the show, I am so excited to have two very talented and very prolific directors, Francois Clouseau and Mike Quasar. Mike has actually been on the show before, so if you guys haven't listened to his episode, you should definitely go back and listen to it. And Francois, this is his first time on the show. They're good friends, they've worked together, and they're both hilarious. I can't promise you that I'm going to be able to control them, but um, it should be an entertaining podcast nonetheless. So make sure that you tune in next week for Francois Clouseau and Mike Quasar on Holly Randall Unfiltered. 